you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Well, damn, y'all keep adding words and letters to this damn t- What the f- Second Acts. <laughs> this is Ephraim Salam. This is the NFL Player Second Acts podcast. I'm Peanuts Hillman, and this is the NFL Player Second Acts Podcast. And with me, as always, my trusted sidekick, Deacon Reverend Harper. What's up, baby? What's up, dog? I, I didn't know if you were going to keep going there. No, nah, I, just, I just kept it two-piece. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you for keeping it just as a two-piece today. I don't want the three-piece. So I do uh, like the way that shirt compliments your hair, though. The gray and the, the white around the beard, it is complimented well. You, you're coordinating. You're coordinating. Some people wake up and have to work at this peanut. Other of us, we just show up like this. So thank you. I appreciate all the compliments. Thanks to all of our listeners and uh, and watchers as well. Uh, and want to tell everybody else to continue to hit follow, give us a review, hit like, give us five stars anywhere you pick up your podcast, whether it's Apple Podcasts or iHeartRadio Podcasts. Thank you as always. And Peanut. Who is our guest today? Hey, we got a special guest for y'all today. He was a seventh round draft pick in the 90, uh, 1998 draft out of San Diego State. Uh, 13-year NFL veteran. Uh, he played left and right tackle. Uh, played in Super Bowl 33 with the uh, Atlanta Falcons. He is a Chicago native from my town. Uh, now he's a big man in Hollywood as a writer, producer, uh, and he's a radio host. Ladies and gentlemen, Please welcome Ephraim Salam. Y'all like that, That's ladies good. That good, and man. gentlemen? I like that. Yeah, That's yeah. Good. I appreciate you guys having me here, man. Uh, I'm excited. This is going to be fun. You a of big course. clown like us, and that's, <laughs> oh my God, let's just get right just into the, this. The, just your intro. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh yeah, I'm in the right place. Yeah, right like place. this is, I love this. We we just a bunch of big clowns, big kids, and we just have fun. And yeah, man, like, let's, like, like how you been? What's, what's, what's going on? I'm good, man. Um, I can't complain. You know, raising these kids. I got two boys, yeah. twelve and and uh, eight. Oh yeah, and uh, twelve and nine now. I just had a, a birthday, and uh, I'm their coach for so I what? coach them in basketball. Basketball, and baseball. okay. Because yeah. you played basketball. I did play basketball. You played basketball in college at yep, San Diego State. It. Yep. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you like. What was your best game in basketball? Because we're gonna talk about football. But yeah. what was your best game in basketball in college? Yeah, we went up to Colorado. We were playing Colorado State. And the Rams. I got in and we were down and they had like this big seven foot kid. Uh-huh. He was just killing us. And so coach was like, hey, go in there and be physical with him. <laughs> so I went in and I scored 10 points in a row on him. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. And brought us back in the game. So I'm hyped. They call timeout. I come to the sideline. This is a real story. I come to the sideline. I'm like, we got it. Everybody, the team adapting us up. Coach is like, hey. Good job. Take a break. Right? <laughs> Take a break. Get you back in there. You know, I didn't, this was in the first half. I didn't play another minute in that basketball mm. game. Did y'all win or lose? We lost. <laughs> <laughs> That's so amazing. It's a rule. So, so what what I've What did the coach tell you after the game? Oh, we, we wanted to work on some things, whatever. <laughs> but what I realized much later is here I am. I had already been a three-year starter in football. I'm a left tackle. I'm 290 pounds, and I was outperforming his basketball guy, basketball scholarship athletes. So, as a coach, 
how do you explain that? Like, how do you? You it, can't. It's nothing you can do. He messed up. So if anybody comes in and is like, well, I mean, who are you recruiting? Yeah. What's happening here? You got a guy who comes off the football field. He's 40 pounds heavier than anybody on the team. And he's outperforming. So I was like, I, I didn't, at the time, I was mad. I'm like, what's going on? Like, coach, what, what? Hey, I got, we working on something. We got you. And it just, it made me feel like I didn't know what it was. So I was like, damn, did I do something wrong? Yeah. yeah. And it it clicked later. Oh, okay. That's that's how you save your job. Right. You save your job by not letting someone from another sport come in and dominate the people you have on Scott. I, I think that's so important. And it's just another great example. And we see it all the time, whether it's the NFL, college, whatever, is that when the people upstairs, they have job, they need job security too. <laughs> so when they draft certain guys, they're going to play. Like, I don't care what anybody says. Like, they're going to, they can fall on their face for two straight years if they're a first rounder. We see They're going to play. They're going to play. So, <laughs> I, it's funny that you brought that up because I was just telling this story out here. My 12th year in the league, mm-hmm. I go to Detroit, right? I leave Houston, go to Detroit. Whew. And Jim Schwartz, head yeah. coach, just got there. It was after the 0 16 uh, season yeah. with the, with the, with, with the, right. the Lions. Yep. And they call me, they bring me over. It's like, hey, we we got to get this offensive line going, all right? We know you're a left tackle. We drafted a kid in the first – they drafted a kid in the first round last year at right tackle. Either you can push him or you can push him out the way. And I said, absolutely. Let's make it happen. Go through training camp. Clearly the better <laughs> option. Like, every, everybody saw it. Everybody yeah. knew. Yeah. Scott Linehan was the offensive coordinator. And we get to – you know, opening week and Scott and off- offensive line coach Jim Schwartz, they come and they sit down, and they talk to me and they say, hey, uh, thank you for all the work you've done. You've competed. You've raised the level of the office, all of these wonderful things, but we can't start you. I said, what? They won't allow us not to play this kid that they drafted last year in the, in the first round. And he's trash. And I said, what? <laughs> And I was like, who is they? <laughs> who is they? That is I, You're the head coach. You're the offensive coordinator. Who who was they? <laughs> that whole season, we go to Green Bay and warm ups, the kid goes the wrong way, hits the tight end, hurts the tight end shoulder. Right? This is coming. Coach is going crazy. <laughs> Ephraim, you're in. This we're in the middle of the season. I haven't played a, a, a down a field goal. I'm on I'm running in there and off on field goal. You're in. You're starting. I buckle up. Whole offensive line. Yeah, let's. We're ready to go. Let's go do it. We receive the kickoff. I'm getting ready to run out on the field, and I just feel the hand on my shoulder. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> the hand. <laughs> this is this, this. I feel the hand. You can't make this up. I couldn't make it up. And these are words that football players know. They. The right. hand. <laughs> this is like we all know, we all know what, what that is. It's like oh, this is that again. My offensive line coach was like, as I turn, I see the kid running, buckling his chin strap, going out onto the field. I said, what's going on? We got a call from upstairs (laughs) asking why he wasn't going into the game and to put him in the game. So I just took my helmet off. But that's what the league had changed into. Yeah. That's that's, crazy, man. I know you're you're one of the writers. Mm On uh, the show Bel Air, yeah. Shout out! That's shout the out, big show out. he yeah. was saying. The, the yeah. national show, right? Yeah. Love that show, man. Yeah, yeah. It's oh, really good. Well, we got picked up for a third season. How influential is Will Smith on this too? Um, I mean, he has input. I mean, okay. he has he's a he's an EP on on the project. Okay. okay. Um, but they really allow us in that writers' room to really build out the show. Yeah, I was extremely uh, excited about it. I got an, a great opportunity to come in and pitch a lot of things. Mm-hmm. For me, as brothers up here, African-American men, I didn't want to do a tropey show. I didn't want to do a show, uh, even though it was based on an original IP, uh, The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, which is a comedy. Mm-hmm. Morgan Cooper, the creator, created this a beautiful sizzle that he dropped on YouTube about a dramatic look at The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And we wanted to speak to some of the issues. But the biggest thing for me is I wanted to show what black excellence and black fatherhood looked like. 
that was huge though. Uncle Phil was like a great father figure. Like huge. people don't understand that. But how, how much message. of a father he was for a lot of people that didn't have fathers. Exactly. So I wanted to continue that. Yeah, I yeah. Didn't, it's a great example. I, I didn't, totally understand. I didn't want to do a show about this kid, Will Smith, coming from Philadelphia to, uh, to, to Bel Air and teaching the banks how to be black again. Right? Yeah. Because under those guides, the more influential you become, the more success you have, the less black you become. And that's an insult to everybody sitting at this table mm-hmm. and everybody out there listening and watching this who's, who's striving for greatness and has bettered their situation. You can't tell me I'm less black because I played in the NFL for 13 years and I've had a successful career right. outside of the NFL. I'm still me. I'm still but the, the, the world sees me as, as, as African-American. Right. <laughs> so I wanted it to be of, you know, when you take a kid and you put them in a situation you think is better for them, the traumas that go with that. Right. Let's talk about the real issues. They didn't get it. They tapped on it a little bit in the original. But in ours, we get to really live in these issues. What about these black kids growing up in these uh, affluent communities going to these private schools? Right. That that in itself is is steeped with all types of of, of trauma and, and pitfalls. So I really wanted to talk and address things that, you know, I got school age kids. Right. We live in Studio City. Right. It's not like here. I grew up actually when I came from Scott, when we came out here, I grew up in Inglewood, right on the other side of the uh, Inglewood. Yeah, it's right over here. It's right over 60th and West Boulevard. My apartment, I, whenever I come over here, I drive by my apartment building. Still there. <laughs> right. And so I wanted to be a part of something that showed us in a light what I could be proud of. And my kids can sit down and watch and be like, oh, OK. What what are black dads? What are black moms? What is the black nuclear family unit? Yeah, we have problems. We have problems. But success is, is available for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. And how do you live in your success? And then teaching a kid like Will that sports is not your only option. Right? Yeah. So many of us in our communities think, oh, I gotta be better, be the best football player. I gotta I got, be the best basketball player right, yeah. in the world. Yeah. In the world yeah. to change our outcome. Mm-hmm. But if you put that same energy as you put into sports and training into anything else, you'll be successful. So, you know, that's to me, that's what the show uh it, it really means. And and I really, you know, the creators and the writers, the showrunners, Carla and all, all of are all of them are on the same page and work really hard. You know, Rashid Newsom and TJ Brady, Morgan Cooper, they've all done a, a tremendous job. That's what's up. So, I mean, Chris Rock said it best in his stand-up. He was like, you know, I live in this neighborhood, huge houses, oh. mil- like million dollars. He's like, dude, I'm the, I'm the best comic in the world. In the world. They're like, I'm here. And my neighbor's like, a dentist. A dentist. <laughs> it's like, it's like, it's like teeth you working dentist, on. Right. Yeah, it's like, That's the reality. That is. That is very much so the reality. And you just say it so well. And uh, you're a deep thinker. I can, we already know that about you. And we'll dive into that a little bit more. Just your whole upbringing. By the time you went to college at 16, it's just crazy. But um, uh, do you got something that works already? Do you oh, have going, some, some. We're some, going right back in. Right, I, season three, we're good right back into it. The one thing they know about me in the room. And I'm one of the only writers that is still there from season one. one. Mm-hmm. I was a part of this project. I heard about the project in 2020. And I've been, we've had a few showrunners and I've been the only constant throughout the, the life of the, of the project yeah. uh, right now. So I, anytime I pitch, so just for those who don't understand what a writer's room is, so say it's us three and you know four other people. Yep. And we're sitting around. The showrunner is like, "Hey, this is what the story is this season. We want to, you know, do this. Like this big story this season was Will's playing AAU basketball in season two. Mm-hmm. Well, I pitched that because nobody in the room had ever played <laughs> AAU basketball, right. and they didn't even the, the network execs didn't even know what AAU basketball What's the a- was. Yeah, I was just my next question. They probably even know AAU. But they basketball. were like, "Well, he's playing on the basketball team in high school, so we don't." That's not his current. <laughs> current is they, the AAU a- model. Yeah. But once you explain that to him, they're like, "Oh, okay, we get it." <laughs> yeah. So so out of touch. So if we if we sit here and I pitch that, 
and I'll pitch it all the way through. And they'll go, oh, okay. All right, well, let's put that on the board, right? They'll write the pitch out, get notes on it. Can we do it? Can we? When they say yes, then you just build on that. Okay, so now we need an AAU coach and a character. Is this the nemesis for season two? How is Will going to respond? And my biggest thing was I said, the breach of trust between Uncle Phil and Will at the end of the season one, we have to repair that, but we have to add some obstacles. So the Doc character who ran the AAU team, Uncle Phil started noticing Will listening to him, mm. right? He's, he's changing. So Uncle Phil feels like he's losing, right, his ability to, to, to guide Will in a, in a way that he's not benefiting from just for Will. So you have this one character here and Uncle Phil here and Will in the middle and then throughout the whole season, you have this pull back and forth. Now that's good conflict. Yeah. That's how you pitch a story. And that's how it sticks because yeah. people can understand that. So now we have a nemesis, right? Now we have a safe place for, for Will and he's in the middle. He's getting pulled back and forth. Back and, and then you just, you know, add stories around that. So where were you at when you did this whole this writer thing? Like, I know your wife, she got you some some classes. Okay, so you know what I'm saying? Where where were you at? How did story? Yeah. I I had a an idea for a movie in my head. I, and I've been talking about this for years. Yeah. Uh, a romantic comedy uh, called The List. And I would always talk to her about it. And she was like, <laughs> <laughs> she was like, hey, uh, why don't you just write it? And I said, well, I don't know how to write. Just, what you talking about? I don't know how to write. And she was <laughs> like, just open up a book and start writing. I was like, oh, it doesn't go that way, baby. I, so for my birthday, she got me like an introduction to screenplay course. It was a five-week course. We met one on Mondays for like four hours in, a, in a, a, a loft in the arts district, right? It was like six of us who signed up for the course. Some dude's house. At some guy's oh, loft. Some person. <laughs> right? He had sold some shows. He was a writer and, and this and that. And he just took us through character, the whys, mm -hmm. the wants, and then the technical aspect of writing. And so I said, oh, okay. So when I came out of there, I met a good friend. I was actually producing a movie. Do you still even contact with that teacher today? No, I okay. don't even, I don't. <laughs> you know, that, was like okay. six, that was like six years ago, I think now. Okay. And I was, prior to writing, I was a producer. I produced film. Mm -hmm. And we were producing a, a movie called The Intruder, in Vancouver with uh, Dennis Quaid, Michael Ely, and Megan, uh, Megan Good. So we were on set producing that, and one of our uh, associate producers, her name is uh, Victoria, I was telling her about the list, and she was a writer. She was like, oh, yeah, we should. I said, look, when we get off of this movie, when we get home, we're going to write this movie together. And she was like, okay. She really helped me understand how to, number one, use Final Draft, which is the software you need to be a writer. Okay. It's it's difficult to learn at first, but once you get it, it's all self-explanatory. You can yeah. just plug and play. And so we wrote the list together, and the premise of the list is the married couple, been married six, seven years, the spark is gone. So they get introduced to this fantasy of the list, right? Which is, if you're married, you get five people on your list that you can have like a freebie with if you ever met them once in a million yeah. chances, right? Mm -hmm. So they're like super A-list celebrities that you'll never run into. So in reality, the list is... Yeah, it's just make-believe. Yeah, it's just, it's just make yeah. But what it did was them talking about it sparked something in their relationship. And then the 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 wife meets somebody on her list. And... Things happen. She wakes up at the, the person's place. No clothes on in bed. She had got drunk. She doesn't remember what happened. Mm -hmm. So the comedy of coming to terms with that, telling your part, telling her husband, and then her feeling like the only way I can make this right is if I help you sleep with somebody on the list. <laughs> <laughs> right? So you have a couple now navigating the rest of the movie and her trying <laughs> to... Have him hook up with an A-list celebrity. And he says, look, it's easy. You're beautiful, right? You can go up to a man and be like, hey, you're on my list. And that's easy. If I go up to an A-list celebrity, I'm going to jail. No doubt. 
I'm going to get slapped, I'm going, which we do have. He does get slapped a couple of times. He does end up <laughs> going to jail. But it was a romantic comedy. Uh, it was fun. It was like, that was the first thing I ever wrote. And it just opened up a door for me. Yeah. It just took, I, I, just being creative took on a, a whole new meaning. So everything I see, now I can put in TV or, or movie form. Like I can create a movie or a TV show from this. Just being in the, in, 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 in the environment. Like I'm always looking. I'm always creating. I'm just yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah. always looking for ideas. You, you, you never always. turned off. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I love that. Hopefully we get you plenty of contact. Content. <laughs> plenty of content. Plenty. By the time we get you up out of here. Even- Stay tuned in. We'll be right back after a quick break. You go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. As you're going around Hollywood, this is the one thing, and we had to ask another uh, guest a couple of days ago uh, about the same type of feeling. It's like, how do you handle rejection? Like, you've been so successful your whole life. Um, I mean, you did get pulled back a couple of times from going in the game, obviously. You yeah, oh, yeah, it's been, you play but, in the league long enough, you deal with the rejection, <laughs> I can tell you oh, that. Yeah. But uh, going around Hollywood, pitching these scripts, you know, trying to pitch these ideas, these movies, how do you, like, because you get told how many, no, how many more times than you ever do oh, get told yes. Not even close. You can't even quantify it. Yeah, yeah, it's like, this is just part of the game, right? And so how do you handle that? And uh, how do you relate that to maybe maybe uh, your past life in football and how it's kind of prepared you for that? So as a seventh round draft pick. You already felt a little rejected. 32 teams said no over and over <laughs> and over again. And so sitting there in 98 watching that draft, and teams had called, hey, we're going to get you in the third round. Hey, you ready? Oh, you got the call in the third round? Hey, man. <laughs> wow. Hey, you got to remember, the, dra- the draft was only two days back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, first three rounds yeah. on Saturday. Saturday. Four through right? seven. Four through yeah. seven on Sunday. Yeah. So I'm like, okay. y'all, hey, y'all. Hey, everybody. It's, <laughs> first it's day. coming up. <laughs> right? It's coming up. And it doesn't happen. So you go to sleep. And you wake up and you turn it back on. And you sitting there, you get some calls. Hey, fifth round, we're looking to take a lineman. Are you, are you, are you ready? Are yeah, you ready? Hey, it's coming. <laughs> now it's half the people. It's not more. Not. <laughs> By the time the seventh round came up, the house was empty. <clears throat> I turned the TV off. Me and my brother, I'm like, we, I, I got to go to the movies, man. I got to just go get away. So as we were driving to the movie theater in San Diego, I get a call from Art Shell. Tells me, hey, we're going to draft you. I said, what round is it? <laughs> He said, you're not watching? I said, no. It's the seventh round. It's the 199th pick. I said, oh, okay. He said. <laughs> you can't he make said, this up. He said. Oh. <laughs> he can hear me breathing and just, I'm just like. Ugh. And he says, are you okay? I said, I'm pissed off. He said, good. He said, because what I'm going to do, Ephraim, is I'm going I'm to give you an opportunity to come in here in training camp and prove to us and every other team that passed on you why they made a mistake. And from that moment, I hung up that phone. And I was like, okay, it's on me. Yeah. All right. So after the no, the one little opportunity, and you know, all the seventh round draft picks don't make the team now. No. A thousand percent. 
Right, so it, it, when you get out there, it's almost you, like undrafted. It's almost like you're undrafted. You just there. You trying to fill out camp bodies. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes you'd rather go undrafted. Yeah. So you can pick you want. Pick where you want to go. Yeah. Better situation. The draft was going off when I got drafted. Right. <laughs> when when, the, when when they're up there talking about the picks that they came up, then you you see the little blip down there. You know. Yeah. They don't even. They don't even. They're not even worried about that. I don't have any footage of me getting drafted. Right. <laughs> I, don't, I, just, I don't know what a tape is. I don't even know have my name on the screen or anything. I say that to say getting a training camp and having just an opportunity, it opened up something inside of me mm -hmm. that I use in the real world now. To be able to go into that situation and fight and claw, and by the end of the training camp in the last preseason game, mm -hmm. Marshall came to me and said, hey, Ephraim, he's going to start. You'll play the second quarter. He'll play the third. You'll play the fourth. Whoever plays the best starting next uh, opening day uh, in Carolina. So I put my, I, I stood on the sideline with my helmet and my mouthpiece in the whole first quarter ready to go in. Now, the guy I was competing with had been in the league five years. He was a high dollar uh, free agent that they had brought over from Buffalo mm -hmm. to play right tackle. Okay. So he looked at it as like a slight that like, it was I, even competition. Like, how are you going to have me competing with a seventh-round draft pick? Well, I'm glad he took that approach. Because he didn't take it serious. Because I went out there. I mean, I was, you talking about trying to kill somebody. <laughs> and the priest, so you know, yeah. right? Everyone chilling the priest. Everybody, <laughs> I'm out there. <laughs> no. It's I, your Super Bowl. I'm telling that's you. Every, that's my whole life. Yeah, that's, that's your Super Bowl. That was your moment. Me being able to get that starting job my senior, I mean, my, uh, my rookie, rookie year, and going all the way and starting in the Super Bowl. Youngest player ever, ever. To start. Right? It's crazy. It's, it was like, you can't. Can, of course, that's something you don't even think about. That's, that's not, you didn't even know that was a stat. I just make the team. Yeah. I, I didn't know any of it. I just, I just wanted to be part of the team. Like, this is my dream yeah. in the NFL. And so, when you translate that to out, that was the hardest thing I had ever done in my life. Okay. It's the hardest thing I've ever done, work-wise. Yeah. Nothing outside of that is going to be harder. So, I take that approach. Uh -huh. You tell me no, it's good. Thank you. I'm going to go over here. All you need is one yes. That's it. It's not for everybody. Yeah. It's that, okay, I got you. Thank you. I appreciate you. You go over here. Oh, no, we're good. Go over here. No, we're good. When you're going around on this hamster wheel of no's, mm -hmm. when you step off, you don't know when you're stepping off. You don't know if that next one is going to be your yes. Right? Yeah. So if you want it, you keep going. I've had, I had bad days in, in, at that rookie year in training camp. I was like, oh, they're going to cut me. I'm getting cut. That's when I used to knock, walk around and knock on your door. Come bring your playbook. A coach want to see you in the playbook. Right? <laughs> hey, bring your playbook. Bring your playbook. Right? That, now it's bring your iPad. Yeah, bring it. Right? Now we had this big ass binder. It's yeah, like, oh, the God. The big three ring. Yeah. So I still got mine. So I'm, I'm always under the mindset of I've already done something that's almost impossible to do. Yeah. If you guys, I don't know if you realize this, but less than 0.1% of the world's population can be professional athletes. Less than 0.1% of seven and a half billion people can do what we've done. Pretty small. You already won. Yeah. Why would you let a no stop you now? Yeah. So when you get into your second career, keep that same energy. Right. Keep the same energy. Yeah. Why stop? Why quit now? You didn't quit then. Yeah. True. And I know somebody told you no. What? I know somebody told you no at some First point. of all, they, I'm an athlete, so you guys know they don't want you ever out of that box. No. Yeah. Typecast. You, just, you can't you, you do stay right here. anything other than talk about football, look at football, answer questions about football. But in reality, do you think a doctor, all he does is talk about surgery or no. a dentist talking about at all. teeth whitening or... No. You, we live. But because we're so exceptional at something, then people think, oh, okay, they only know about that. But you look at any sportscaster or any analyst who never played, how do they get a chance to do that and we don't? I love talking about basketball. I know basketball. That's my first love. Yeah. I tell people I just pay football to play the bill, pay the bills. Yeah, for sure. But I love basketball. We can sit and we can go back and forth with basketball. But when I came out of, uh, when I retired, I was, hey, we want you to come do this football show. And I was like, uh. <laughs> Not really your jam. I would like to, to talk all sports. Yeah. 
and they were like, yeah, but you're first of all, I was an offensive lineman. So there wasn't any offensive lineman on television talking about anything, right? Yeah. Football or anything. And so the person that I had to my they had to see my personality. Right. Yeah. And it's the same thing. Add value. I tell this to young writers. I told it to young players. I don't care how you got here. Once you're here, you got to add value. If you don't add value, they will replace you. Yeah. The reason I'm still on Bel Air. Add value. Because I add value where all them, remember they make mm-hmm. the decisions. When they, this was my goal. Whenever they get in the room and talk about who's coming back, I want every single person, the network, the studio, and the executives to all say Ephraim individually. Because if they say your name, then it's resonating yeah. with what you do. Yeah. Every pitch a writer has, they know. I got extended on my first season of Bel Air from 20 to 24 weeks because I pitched something. The show's been out, so now I, I, could, I could talk about it. The Lou Smith character, which is Will Smith's father mm-hmm. in the finale, they didn't know where his father had been for 12 years. So they were like, hey, we don't want this. We don't want him violent. We don't want a deadbeat dad. We don't want an alcoholic. So everybody was pitching in the room of, of, of what, and I said, uh, I was thinking, I was like, damn, where can you be for 12 12 years? For 12 years (laughs) and time stands still. And I said, what if he was in prison? And everybody laughed. And I said, no, listen. I said, my father worked in the prison system for 25 years. When I turned 18, he took myself and my brother to work with him to Folsom Prison. Hey, man, let me tell you this. It's a whole nother world. Everything outside of those walls doesn't exist. Right. So if we wanted to put the Lou character somewhere where his son didn't know where it was, he was, and he didn't have any access to his son, then he's in prison. Now, whether he's guilty or not, we can discuss that. And, you know, but that's where he was. And I pitched, I said, Will was five. His mom takes Will to see his dad for the first time in prison. When they get there, he had gotten into a fight or something, so he couldn't have visitors. On the way back, she decided, no. Not doing this anymore. I'm not going to expose this to my son. I don't want him to think that this is an option. So she kept him out of it. Became a secret of what happened, so on and so forth. They built it around that pitch. Mm-hmm. Showrunner Rashid Newsom called me the next day and said, hey, man, um, where did that pitch come from? I said, I was just thinking, man, and I was just going through my, I was explaining. And he said, well, let me tell you this. They love it. <laughs> they love it. The studio, the network, everybody loves it. And we told him, you pitched it. And he said, a writer's career can be established two or three of those pitches, and you just got your first one. Oh, that's awesome. And with that, we're going to extend you. That's value. Yeah. You want to talk about value? Yeah. I was in the writer's room with people who've been doing it 10, 12, 15 years, 20 years. When you step in the door as a seventh-round draft pick and start, You've added value no matter how long the veteran guys have been there. It's the same muscle. Yeah. You got to use that to accomplish this. This is harder than anything in the world. But because you did that, you take that same energy, same focus, same sense of value, and you add it to any other thing. And I promise to God, you will be successful. You can't help but because nobody works like we did. You, you know, Ephraim, yeah. that's that's so cool. And it's very important. It's, you know, the more and more of these podcasts we do and the more and more we we sit here and we talk to veteran guys that have been through the ropes that are really established in their second act. Um, we were talking to um, Coach uh, Leslie Frazier mm-hmm. and he was talking about the same thing you just said. It's like, man, make it to the league. Like that same energy that got that you there, mindset. that mindset, you just got to put it in something else and you're going to be successful. He's like, people don't understand, like that is so hard to do and you just get used to doing it. And all of a sudden you, you come out of it and you don't know what to do. You got to take that same energy and effort and focus it into other avenues. I, I think that's huge. One avenue I think that you've done a good job with as well is like, um, and I want to hear about this because we're talking about Bel Air mm-hmm. and, you know, all the typecasting and all that other stuff. Do you, Try to make sure and maintain. We're like, you know what? 
as I continue to rise up, I got to reach back and pull others that look like me, that come from maybe walks of life like me, and try and bring them along too and get them in the room so they have that same opportunity. Absolutely. I've always been under the, the ideals of if you're going to be the first person through the door, if you're going to bust open the glass ceiling, yeah. it doesn't close behind you. Mm-mm. But we're trained to think that it does because we were raised in this country to think it can only be one of us. They're not going to let us all up. <laughs> so if I get up there, I got to stay up here. Or somebody going to replace me. Now, as time goes by and things become more accessible for African-Americans, that notion is hopefully dying down. Good. But we're the ones that have to dispel it. Yeah. Right? Because here I am. I'm not a trained writer. I didn't go to school for this. I wasn't an assistant, then a writer's assistant, and then a showrunner's assistant. And, and th- like, I didn't come into the, to it like that. But it didn't matter to me. Right? I came in. I added value. I stuck. And now I'm trying to pull everybody. Everybody got a story. So if you, Pina, if we were over there, you was like, yo, look, man, I had this idea. Wait, so let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Let's put it together. Right? Let's package it. If it hit, you want to do some a show here individually? Let's package it. We're going together. We're going together. I, I when I came and, and spoke here uh, on on second, um, Chris spoke to a bunch of players who were, you know, want to know about transition and yeah. all of that. I gave them out my number. I said, "Hey, man, everything you do, everything you have, you already you're already the superhero. Yeah, you're you're the superhero. You made it. Yeah." So hit me up, whatever you need from me to help you navigate the next step. And if you want to be in entertainment, then let me know. You guys have phenomenal stories, phenomenal ideas, because you're able to look at the world through a different lens yeah. than the rest of the population. Very true. So yeah. I'm always, I, my hands are out and I'm, I'm pulling people up because we deserve that opportunity. So what lens did you look at for you to skip two grades? Oh. <laughs> So it's, that's my mom, man. She, she, uh, my mother was an educator. She got her, uh, PhD in education from UCLA. Okay. And so before we even went to school, my sisters, brothers, we all knew how to read and write. So you in kindergarten, you know how to read and write. They're like, what was, yeah, special. They're like, what is happening right now? It, it was like A, uh, B, C, and we're just like A, B, C, D. Like we, we're going through it. We can read. And when I was in the first grade, I was disruptive. No. Well, it's probably because you were bored. Right? It, was, it was so easy was to just, you. <laughs> so they were like, well, his work is great, but he's, you know, I'm, I'm six. I don't, yeah. I don't know. I'm, <laughs> I'm just me, yeah. you know? And so normal. I tested. Uh, and so I went from first to third and then from third to fifth. And um, there's a the gift and a the curse there. Scholastically, it helped me. Uh, moving forward, physically, um, <laughs> it was taking your I, lunch money. But no, but I, I, I was, a, I was always a big kid. But when I look at my senior year in high school, and I was six five, one hundred eighty five pounds, and then I look at what I was at eighteen, a uh, junior in college, right, uh, a red shirt sophomore in college, and I'm like, damn, if I was this. My senior year in high school, my basketball coach, Jim Smirker, Jim, this is for you, (laughs) was furious at my parents. Furious. Because my senior year, I averaged 24 points, 12 rebounds. And he was so mad that he didn't have me for two more years. Because your parents. Because I skipped two grades. (laughs) Who who does that? (laughs) Why? Why would they do that? That's just crazy. <laughs> we can win state if I if I had just won one more year. So it was it, it was a situation where physically I had to catch up. Yeah. And the classroom's fine. Physically, I was young. It took me a long time to get into my to, to my body, but once it hit, it it hit. Took off running. That summer between 15, 16 years old. Yeah. Oh, it was over, brother. 
it was over. Good, good, good luck. You know, so it, it's my mom did that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're going to get some fun questions real quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, I want to ask you, what was tougher, writing a screenplay or competing in The Amazing Race? Which we got to do. Oh, y'all would be great. Y'all want to do it? Well, I, I, I literally, I think when they record, I, I think I'll be working, but it's all right. Everything I mean, I, got pitched to you, you say no. I won't say no. I everything would I pitched, to, everything I would got pitched be, to him. I would be, I would I challenge him to an angry. MMA fight. He don't want to do it. Hey, let's do Amazing have, Race. He don't want to do it. I don't have the jawline to take punches. Like, come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just telling you. Um, it, it was difficult getting eliminated. Well, I got to hold on yeah. to do that. Hold on. Let me tell you the... You still, you guys still hold the record in that. As yes. Well. You know that, right? Oh, yeah. You're the only team to be eliminated <laughs> at, the airport. at the airport. At the airport. <laughs> they changed how the show's done because of that. No team will ever be in that situation ever again. That was awful. <laughs> I, I mean, you and Chester. So the, the, the crazy, the behind, behind <laughs> the scenes of that is initially it was going to be my wife and I. Mm-hmm. So we loved the show, watched it from the beginning, loved it. Somebody approached, casting director approached her and her friends at, at a club and was like, hey, would you want reality TV? And she was like, nah, you want to be on Survivor? She was like, never. But my husband and I, we love the Amazing Race. Oh, okay. Uh, what does your husband do? Well, he's in the NFL. You guys got to be on. <laughs> you got to be on. Right? I couldn't do it while we were playing because I didn't have a month to just, just go be somewhere. Yeah, yeah, just to be gone. You need oh, one, you have four weeks where you just off the grid. No phone, no anything. And so I never had that opportunity. So a couple of years after I retired, hey, are you, you and your wife still interested in doing Amazing Race? Absolutely. Did the paperwork, sent in the video, did all these things. And then I get a call from the casting director. She was like, hey, uh, so we just had a former NFL player and his wife on one of the previous seasons. So is there anyone else you want to do it with? And I was like, yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that. So now thank you for the opportunity. Boom. I didn't want to tell my wife that. Yeah. So she was going, what's going on with the amazing race? And I was like, I don't know. I, just, <laughs> I like, Maybe we didn't make it. <laughs> and she was like, Oh, okay. Well, a couple of weeks go by. She calls back. Hey, Ephraim, I really, we really want you to be on. You just need another partner. Hey, look, I, I'm not going to do that to my wife. All right? That's not, we're not going to do that. Yeah. My publicist, Denise White, sends her a tape uh, or a copy of Chester and I's Super Bowl commercial. Right? Uh-huh. The oboe. And yeah. When we were playing for the Texans together. And Lynn called me the next week and was like, hey, you got to do it with Chester. I was like, how you know Chester? <laughs> <laughs> she was like, I saw the commercial. This is perfect. They, they, they love it. They want you. So, I, you know, I have a conversation with my wife. She was upset, of course. And I yeah. was like, well, then I don't want to do it because this is supposed to be our thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was like, you got to do it. It's our favorite show. So I called Chester and asked him. He didn't even know what it was. <laughs> I said, Chester, you want to be on Amazing Race? He said, is that the show that comes on after The Good Wife? That's what he said. Never watched an episode. So he wasn't as vested in it as, as I was. <laughs> so having a partner who's not locked in with you. I right. think that's where me and you would struggle at. Cause I would be like, you'd be like, you would just be like, hey, he, that's him now. <laughs> that's, like, that's him now. So you would go crazy. <laughs> like you would be like, bruh, <laughs> come on. He was like, no, nah, I'm good. Hold on. But what'll happen is your competitiveness will kick in. Yeah. So you'll see somebody run by you and be like, oh, not, not today. <laughs> right. So you, you have a task. You have to do a, a roadblock or something like that. And you see somebody doing it fast. You're like, oh, no, no. you better, what's, so during that time, that's when it kicks in because that's that athlete, that's that button, that switch. Yeah. You hit that switch, it's like, oh, you think you're about to run past? Oh, no, you're not about to do that. <laughs> but getting him going every time, Chester was like, man, we can go home right now. I'm like, hey, no, man, no. <laughs> no, we, let's not go home right now. Let's just listen. You know you know me. You got too much money. You got too much money, man. It, it, it don't hit. It don't hit the same, right? That, that'd be Rome all day. You know, he's, he's like, man. He'd be like, man, I'm not. No, no, I'm not doing that. No, let's just go home. I, I probably, he's not lying. I would yeah, totally pick some peanut, pick somebody else. Yeah. Somebody, <laughs> boy, you, you pick somebody. I'm telling you right now. All right, next one. <laughs> Who is a better dancer, you or your wife? wife? Not even close. I know your wife, she was a backup dancer. She was a professional dancer for 12 years. Started on tours with Usher, Ricky Martin, Beyonce, Destiny's Child, Rihanna. Toured the world seven 
eight times. Yeah. One of the best dancers in the world. Yeah, I, I love the story Crazy. about how you first started pursuing her. First of all, you met her. She was about to smoke a cigarette. She said, yes, I'm going to do it. And then, you know, she's traveling the world and you're like, I, you know, and she was like, you know what? When we're not together, you can do your thing. Bro, she's and, and you, but, and you, and mm. it's just like, well, that, I mean, you're not supposed she, to suggest she, that. She, not she, pulled the one, <laughs> she pulled one of our moves on me. <laughs> and, that, and then you were like, I mean, the moment she was gone, I was like, what's she doing? And you're Bro. calling all the time. Listen. And you're just uh. like, I can't, I can't be without her, dog. I think some, I think I love her. <laughs> so we had been dating, right? A couple months. She was on tour in Europe. I'm playing for the Broncos at the time. Yeah. So I would have to catch her when she got off stage. It was this was pre-cell phones all over the world. Yeah. Right? I had to go get to Motorola and get my cell phone unlocked to even call international. And she didn't have an international cell phone, so I had to catch her at the hotel from when they were off stage or before they went uh, into the venue. So I, we, I had times that I had to catch her. And I remember she came back. She had a break. She came out, and she was like, this, this is hard, right? So, look, I'm not going to tell you what you can do. How about this? How about when we're together, we're together. When we're not, when when we're gone and I'm gone and you're doing your thing, you do you and I'll do me. And I said, what? What, what, is, <laughs> what does do you mean? <laughs> do you, boo? And she was like, you know, just, it, I don't want to be like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm holding you back or or I'm just, I was like, I was confused. I'm like, I really like you. <laughs> like, look, I like you too, but I know I'm over in Europe and, you know, I'm going for a month or two at a time. Just do you. And I was like, she said, or we'll be together with the travel, without, you know, whatever that is, we'll, we'll lock in right now and be together, or we'll still have a, a, a relationship when we get back together until I was like, oh, you know what the first thing that popped into my mind? What was that? Her being in, they were all over the world. I'm talking yeah. about South Africa, Paris, Italy, everywhere. Some of the biggest tours on the planet Earth. The only, the first thing that popped into my mind was, me calling her at the hotel after a show and in Paris. And it'd be like the Martin episode? A, they, right? Yes! <laughs> the Martin episode. Yes! It's going it's crazy! Going it's crazy. <laughs> Bruh, I was like, all, I'm like, hey, babe. She's like, hey. I'm like, what's going on? Oh, we're just having an after party and all of that. And then I just hear some French dude back there. Uh, it's uh, Mademoiselle. I said, poo-poo. Uh, we'll be here. And she's like, I'll, 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 I'm going to call you later. Okay, bye-bye, poo-poo. And I just, I'm just sitting at home like, <laughs> <laughs> so I swear to God, that's the that, that Martin that was a, that's the first thing that I'm popped in my head. And I'm, I'm, out of, I'm out of control. She's this, out of control. This whole the whole party's, party's out, out of control. control. And I was just like, nope, I want to be with you. Be together. She said, I'm gonna give you one more chance. I said, no, I'm in. I'm locked in. I'm like, click, we together. We together. <laughs> we together. And we've been, ever, I swear to God, 20 years ago. 20 years oh ago. I'm God. like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> no, nah, I'm cool. <laughs> French dude, Italian dude, I can compete with that. <laughs> 6,000 miles away. No chance. <laughs> no chance. She's oh my God. 5'11", built like, oh my God. I'm like, hell no. Nah. Hell to the no. <laughs> <laughs> Nope, I said I'm good. I, I wait. I'm we. I don't. Nobody else. <laughs> this I, I made you grow up quick. It made me mature real fast. Yeah. Instead of doing what most guys do, be like, oh yeah, okay, cool. cool yeah. Cool. I was like, mm -mm, mm. no, not this one. I love that. She was a keeper. I, I would say this. Uh, yeah. A little bit of advice, maybe to more ladies and people should try that. Hey Just, man, look here. If. <laughs> <laughs> Put the carrot out there. <laughs> if he don't take the carrot, he ain't the one. Yeah, that's simple. Put the carrot out there. She, Man, she dangled that thing in front of my face twice. And I was like, nah, I'm good. I'm We cool. <laughs> I want you. I just want you. That's it. I We had that type of connection. That yeah. We enjoyed being around each other. The distance was crazy. But I was like, man, I think <clears throat> this is the one. And that's awesome. I was right. And I thank God every day that I was mature enough to know that because you At know that we time, can mess yeah. some stuff up. That was most definitely. I still mess stuff up. I had been in the league six years, so you know me. I was just like wide open. I'm just like yeah. out here chilling. <laughs> and and I, just, I always thank God that I had the maturity yeah. to recognize yeah. 
what I had and to not mess it up. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. early on, I was trying. Trying to mess it up. Man, I'm like, <laughs> I had to go to therapy. I'm like, bro, you got to get your <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. It's a podcast. I'm like, damn, why is you messing up, man? <laughs> oh my God. All right. So uh Mount Rushmore. Who's on your Mount Rushmore? You get four picks. Four people that have had some type of influence, inspiration, something in your life. Wife, oh coach, player, God. a writer, uh the, the actor, actress, producer, EP, and executive. Me, Roman, somebody. <laughs> Just, <laughs> well, I got you two up there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, I'll put Art Shell up there. Mm, love that. I pick. like that. Love that pick. Um, Art Shell, to me, having him as a coach coming into the league, can I, can he, no, I, I, I'm going to give him their own due. So Art Shell. Yeah. But before Art Shell, Ed White. Yeah. Ed White was my offensive line coach in college. Mm-hmm. Played. 15, 16 years in the league, all Madden, played for the Chargers, the Vikings. I'm just like the epitome of an offensive mm-hmm. line. Oh, I school. was a defensive end. I went to college as a defensive end and outside linebacker. And when I played scout team, um, I redshirted, three offensive linemen got hurt. So they took myself, Kyle Turley, and another player and moved us to scout team O-line from the defensive line room. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. And so I'm out there literally at 100, 206 pounds, snapping the ball, blocking Leroy Glover every day in practice, playing tackle, guard, center, everything, but holding my own because I was a competitor. Yeah. Great feet, great hands from basketball. And that next year, coaches got fired, then Ed and new group came in. I went back to defense, and he saw some practice tape. He said, damn, this kid is 200 pounds out here moving at offensive line. Can we say you want to start next year? I said, yep. It'd be my left tackle. That changed my life. Mm, that was awesome. Changed my life. Menu. Changed my life. I started my first game in college at 240 pounds at left tackle mm. against Reagan Upshaw. Y'all remember him? Right? I, Beast no. out of Cal. He was yeah. number one DN in the nation. At the didn't, he, uh, didn't he play for the uh, Raiders? Yep. That was my first college game. Crushed him. Whoa, his ass out. Yeah. My dad, after that game, was like, you might have a future at this. <laughs> but that's what that's what opened that door so yeah. Ed White first Art Shell, two great offensive linemen mm-hmm. saw something in me that maybe I didn't even see at the time gave me an opportunity yeah. to live the dream and to continue the dream Yeah. so I definitely put those two up there um, I know this is going to sound corny but I'll put my wife up there it's not corny. It's not corny at all. Because she changed my life. Mm-hmm. Like, it's all, it was all fun and game. My story is great and all of that. But she helped me mature faster than I probably would have. Mm-hmm. Because she was serious about it. She was like, hey, I'm, we, if we're going to be together, we're not going to play no games. Right? And through me not wanting to mess that up, I learned how to be a better me. Mm-hmm. A yeah. better man. Yeah. Uh, which turned into a, a, a better father. And without her, you don't get the E from you, you, you get now. So, and I, I and I'm, I'm blessed because I get to, every day I get to be around that. Yeah. I get to be, she's all 1000% supportive. The second half of my career, when I couldn't walk, couldn't hope, like every step of the way. Yeah. Every step of the way. Um, she sacrificed her, career that she loved to do yeah. for us. It was hard to be in a relationship with you in Budapest. <laughs> and I'm at training camp. Yeah. And she came to me and was like, look, I want to work on us. I'm stop dancing. And I wish that never would happen because she was so great at it. Yeah. You know, and that's a piece of her she'll never be able to get back. But she gave that up for us. So she's definitely up there. Yeah. Um, Chris Collins. He's a one of the most dynamic and prolific writers in in Hollywood. He was our neighbor. He was a good friend of mine. Our kids were in the same class together, and he gave me my opportunity to start writing on a television show. He got me in the guild, the writers guild. He yeah. got me insurance because you know, at a certain point, we gonna have to find insurance. Oh yeah, <clears throat> oh right? yeah. So when you coming out of pocket, 
You like how much it costs? What <laughs> for? For everybody? <laughs> and so he was like, look, don't worry about that. Because I was telling him the story. And he was just like, I got you. Don't worry. I want you to be a part of the show. It was a show called uh, The Continental, based on the, the hotel and the John Wick. John Wick, in, yeah. In the, in the John Wick uh, movies. And I was like, but I'm not an assassin. He's like, nobody in the writer's room is an assassin. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so he said, but the thing that I like about you that nobody, I don't care, he had kids from Harvard, Yale, that Princeton, they all went to writing uh, schools and graduated and, and the arts. He said, the thing that they don't have that you have is you've seen the world through a lens nobody can see. I need that in the writer's room. I need you to be able to talk to and about things that no one has ever been able to experience. Yeah. And he gave me an opportunity to be in there and, and be a part of that. And that to me was everything mm. because it allowed me to be where I am now, mm -hmm. but it also taught me how to become a writer, how to become a professional, how to add value and to continue <clears throat> to add value. Right. Subsequently enough, he brought me to Bel Air. He was the showrunner at the beginning of it. And he brought me over to Bel Air. Hey, Ephraim, I know you're working on another project. I got something for you. So Chris will always be up there. I got one more. I mean, it's your mouth. That's, yeah. We can do, you can add five. I mean, yeah. That's, Is it only, it's, it's, it's that's, only four. It's only four. It's only four. That's it's it. Four. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to add one more. That's my brother, Dion. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, he's my best friend. Mm -hmm. We grew up together. I've known him since I, he was 11. Um, I lived with him in high school. Um, we have a company together called Hidden Empire Film Group. Yep. The largest minority uh, film company we have. Yeah. Um, and his, he got me into sports. I didn't play any sports till high school. Okay. Basketball, football. I didn't play anything until ninth grade. And you guys, uh, you guys did the one show, uh, with uh, Mike Epps, right? Yeah, the, the Meet movie. the Blacks. Yeah, Meet the Meet Blacks. The Black. That yeah. was it. That yeah. was your. That was your guys. Yep. Meet the Blacks, uh, Intruder, Fatal. Uh, I mean, we've done 17, 18 movies. Yeah. And he's always been like, we can do it. We got. We want more, right? So growing up with a best friend who didn't smoke, who didn't drink, who didn't do anything, he wanted to go to the NBA. So all we did was play basketball all day. Yeah. But us laying there staring at the ceiling at 11, 12, 13 years old, dreaming and wishing about all the things we wanted to do, it all came to fruition. He went overseas for five years, played professional basketball, came back, started a film company. All of those things that we, you know, I, I, I mean, I've known him for 36 years. Yeah. Right? And without that, you know, those five people have, have helped mold who I am. And, and, and it's important to give him his due because, you know, he's one of the most dynamic directors on the planet Earth. Um, tremendous insight in this business and what it takes. Um, he didn't have the NFL in terms of opening doors. Yeah. So he had to open those doors himself. And he opened them wide enough for us all to come in. Yeah. Right? Start producing movies and stuff like that years and years ago. And he allowed me to step into that space and learn and continue to grow in that space while I was doing other things. So that that would be my five on, on Mount Rushmore. Awesome. That's cool. dope. Well, hey, man, from, that's, man. That's, hey, you, Thank you, you so you much, off the man. hot seat. Yeah, bro. <laughs> I that was, appreciate that was awesome. you pouring yeah. into us, dog. Hopefully <laughs> we get you some content today You bless uh, that us. you can take back with you. Uh, I know sure. we're going to take some stuff back with you. I, I wrote down a couple things. Uh, I'm going to watch the list. Uh, I need to get my wife uh, the final draft. Uh, document or app. Get the, I'm telling you, the software, yeah. everything. Definitely. And uh, and if you want to start writing, everybody, you must understand the whys and the wants. Yep. That's your basis of it all. Yep. So there it is. We actually learned some stuff today. Ephraim, man, appreciate it, dog. Appreciate Thanks for blessing. Yes, I'm sir. Yes, sir. And like I always tell everybody, man, we're out of here. Remember, for all those that are watching and our listeners, to tell a friend, to tell a friend, to tell a friend. We are going to get out of here. I'm sorry I hit you, you like hit that. My so bad. I'm, just excited. I'm excited. I apologize about that. That did feel a little physical. All right. But anyways, uh, anywhere you pick up your podcast at, whether it's Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio Podcasts, please give us a five-star rating. 
Um, hit the follow button. Give us a review. Tell us how you're feeling. Ask questions. My man Thomas will all answer them for you because uh, we do not. No. And so thank you. Appreciate it. We're out of here. Ephraim Salam. Thanks, dog, for a blessing. Thank you, guys. We out. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results, like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com compatibility.